and welcome to the Reorg Europe podcast. It's Thursday, June the 24th. I'm Richard Woolley, editor in Reorg's London office, and today we're going to be talking about British consumer lender Amigo's attempts to pursue a UK scheme of arrangement, and hear from our CMIA desk about the latest developments in Ukraine. Amigo suffered a setback in its efforts to contend with redress claims from thousands of individuals after the High Court decided not to sanction the group's scheme of arrangement in a surprise decision. Reporters Thomas Baker and Connor Lovell have been following the matter for Reorg. Hi Tom, can you bring us up to speed on Amigo? Amigo had attempted to use a scheme of arrangement process to compromise the claims of thousands of individuals who had redress claims against the group, following claims Amigo had extended loans to borrowers who could not afford them or where a guarantee should not have been accepted. The scheme as proposed by Amigo would have limited the funds available to repay these redress creditors, with the group arguing if it was forced to repay the creditors in full, it would face insolvency. The total quantum for known and potential claims was estimated as £150.9 million as of December 2020. The court's refusal to sanction the scheme came as a bit of a surprise, but uh, followed submissions from the Financial Conduct Authority, which came out in opposition to the proposal. Why was that, and, and why are investors still a bit uncertain about the regulator's stance? Both the court and the FCA considered the dramatic rise in Amigo share price after the announcement of the proposed scheme to be reflective of value being shifted to shareholders from unsecured redress claimants. This was the primary concern of the FCA, which resulted in the regulator's 11th hour opposition to the scheme. The FCA's stance has left many investors surprised, and some have been barbed in their criticism, suggesting the FCA is behaving more like a consumer champion than a regulator. They also believe the FCA is not engaging constructively with Amigo on potential future scheme proposals and has left the group shooting in the dark on how best to construct an alternative scheme. However, others are more optimistic, believing that Amigo can win the FCA's approval for a scheme by shareholders giving up a greater share of profit to provide consumers a better recovery. Connor, could an alternative scheme be sanctioned by the court without the FCA's approval? Yes, There's no requirement that the FCA consent to the scheme, and a future scheme could be sanctioned if it meets the requirements of the court. At an early stage in the scheme process, the company sought a customary letter of non-objection from the FCA, but after initial feedback, withdrew that request. The FCA is not party to the scheme itself and has never endorsed the scheme, but was explicit that it retained the right to appear at sanction, which it did. The court noted that the FCA does not, as a matter of policy, negotiate the terms of schemes of arrangement with regulated firms. However, the court also noted that the correspondence between the FCA and Amigo was, quote, unusually extensive. Amigo says the failed scheme was shaped by these communications with the FCA. And as a result, the company increased the future business contribution from 5% of profits over three years to 15% of the profits for four years. The bigger question is over the FCA's support for Amigo's long-term business model. Investors have stressed that Amigo needs a strong working relationship with the FCA if it is to run its business effectively and avoid potential new address claims. Tom, Amigo said that in the absence of a scheme, it's going to be forced to file for insolvency. With that in mind, what can bondholders expect in terms of recovery? Amigo has been explicit in its belief that should it have to pay redress creditors in full, it would face insolvency. While the court was unconvinced of this, Amigo maintains that without an appropriate scheme of arrangement to deal with customer complaints, the group's balance sheet is insolvent. 
Some bondholders are surprisingly sanguine about this prospect, believing there is enough cushion in the Amigo book to ensure a good recovery in the event of insolvency. Others suggest there is a complacency on the part of some investors who might be underestimating the length and complexity of a recovery process in the event of insolvency. One concern would be that if the company doesn't file for insolvency and resumes compensation payments, which are currently paused due to a moratorium granted by the FCA. This would see unsecured creditors paid ahead of secured creditors, which is a scenario bondholders want to avoid. For its part, the FCA maintains that secured creditors would suffer a significant loss in an insolvency, but are envisaged to be paid in full should a scheme be sanctioned. You mentioned the moratorium on redress payments granted by the FCA. How long can that be expected to last? The de facto pause on redress payments was granted by the FCA to aid the scheme process, and currently the FCA's moratorium on these payments has no hard expiry date. The FCA has been clear in its belief that a restructuring of Amigo is both feasible and desirable, and it has stated that in the event the court refused to sanction the scheme, but the group wished to pursue another restructuring plan or alternative scheme, it would agree to a continuation of the moratorium. The Ukrainian state-owned road and highway agency Ukravtador this week issued its debut international notes offering, a eurobond of $700 million dollars with a 6.25% coupon and a seven-year maturity. Last year alone, the agency issued domestic hryvnia-denominated bonds equivalent to about $690 million. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky said it was a historic event in Ukraine, with the interest rate among the lowest in the country's eurobond history, and said it showed investors' trust in the country. I asked senior reporter Jack Lawrenson how accurate that statement was. Trust is a strong word and is something that is still being earned here in Ukraine, but it does appear to show continued investor interest in the country, especially in certain sectors like infrastructure, if the conditions and the terms of the deal are good. A full state guarantee on this bond, effectively making it a government-backed sovereign issuance, would have been a key factor in investor confidence. Investors that we speak to see opportunity and yield in Ukraine, but they still need to minimise their risk in light of ongoing challenges in the country, especially in relation to rule of law and good corporate governance, a simmering conflict with Russia in the east and ongoing anti-corruption reforms. Can you tell us anything more about the new bond from the Highways Agency? Do we know who's invested in it? Do we know if it's trading? And, And do we know what the group plans to do with the proceeds? We understand why the government will feel good about this issuance. It was more than three times oversubscribed. Uh, the infrastructure minister said that uh, Ukravtador received bids for almost 2.4 billion US dollars, with JP Morgan and Dragon Capital acting as bookrunners on the deal. Much like with its sovereign bonds, applications largely came from Western investors with uh, 41% from the UK, 28% from the EU, and 28% from the US. The group is planning to use the proceeds as part of its nationwide road building and repair strategy, which seems to have gathered some pace under the Zelensky administration. The year 2020, despite the pandemic, actually saw Ukraine repair or build almost as many kilometres of highway as the previous three years combined. Settlement of the notes is today, June 24, and in the days prior, some trades were already taking place, our sources told us. 
On Tuesday, $11.2 million of the notes sold at 99.9, followed by $1.7 million at 99.77. And on Monday, we saw a $300,000 portion was sold at 99.5. There's no official holders of the notes until today, so these will be from funds that received initial allocations in the book-running process. And we understand that JP Morgan is likely to have kept a portion of the notes and can then facilitate some trading on the secondary market. Okay, now you're based out in Kiev at the moment, so you know the situation on the ground fairly well. What else do you think that international investors should know about these notes? What makes them interesting and what kind of risks should they consider? Well, two years into his presidency, Zelensky's feeling some pressure to deliver on his campaign promises one of which was large-scale privatisation of Ukraine's uh, huge amount of state-owned assets and enterprises in areas such as transport, energy and banking. Another was improving the climate for foreign direct investment and allowing for more private-public partnerships. These Ukravtodor notes appear to tick all three of those boxes and the government guarantee is a deal sweetener for investors who are still cautious about the country. Investors can probably expect to see more and more opportunities to invest in Ukraine and buy Ukrainian debt if they have the stomach for it. The bond prospectus of the road agency clearly outlines risks that bondholders will be taking. The agency already has outstanding debt of roughly $2.387 billion. The enterprise is heavily reliant on state support. Uh, Many of its programs end up not being completed on time or at all. And the group has lots of covenants in place with its existing lenders, who are mostly local banks and IFIs. As you've mentioned, the the government there in Ukraine talks a lot about building investor confidence and and attracting more investors to the country. So beyond this bond um, this week, are there any other situations that we think investors are watching? The investors we speak to that follow Ukraine want to see a level playing field and predictability. They don't want the goalposts being shifted and the rules being changed. So there are a handful of fluid situations that the lending community is watching closely. As always, this includes a state-owned private bank, which is still suing its former owners in relation to the billions they allegedly stole before the 2016 nationalisation. The former owners strongly deny this. There is also ongoing dispute there in which bondholders are not happy about the 595 million of debt that was bailed in during that nationalisation, which was recently endorsed by the Bank of England. Those investors are exploring their legal options to challenge that situation. Then there's the state-owned oil and gas company Naftohaus, which has foreign investors and foreign bondholders, and they are watching closely at the moment while the group goes to court with the government over how it selects and appoints its CEO. On a positive note, the restructuring of the debt of Ukraine's largest private energy company, DTEC, that was finally completed in an amicable way with all parties happy at the outcome. Over at Ukrzalaznetsia, investors holding about 300 million of defaulted loan debt have become so frustrated with the drawn-out litigation and stalled restructuring talks that they came to Kyiv to bring their complaints before a special parliamentary commission. On June 16th, Richard Deitz, the president and founder of the VR Capital hedge fund, he was in town to tell an 11-member panel of lawmakers 
that the fund was left with no choice but to pursue recovery action after a lengthy period of Ukrzaleznetsia failing to engage with them in good faith to restructure the land debt. That's a situation in which an Ukravtodor-style government guarantee may have been useful. Business and the government here in Ukraine are simultaneously trying to overhaul and reform, while also needing to attract record levels of foreign investment in order to sustain GDP growth that can lift people out of poverty. It's not easy. But while there are obvious signs of progress, and there is investor interest, uh, it's never straightforward here. The COVID-19 pandemic has also caused huge disruption. But the investors we speak to, uh, they still see plenty of opportunity, especially in energy, infrastructure, IT and agriculture. But at the same time, they are closely watching the cases we've mentioned today, which are a real litmus test for overall investor confidence. You can, of course, read more about all of these situations on our website, reorg.com. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another Reorg Europe podcast. But until then, stay safe and thank you very much for listening.